Blog Talk Radio. We know that we're asking Americans to do a lot right now. So we're asking everyone to be selfless for others so that we can protect those who are most susceptible to this virus. A question I often get asked is why should young people care about the spread of coronavirus? Well, we know that people with underlying medical conditions over the age of 60 are at highest risk, but they've got to get it from somebody. Social distancing is really physical separation of people. It's what we refer to when we ask people to stay at least six feet apart. Not going to bars, not going to restaurants, not going to theaters where there are a lot of people. It all just means physical separation so that you have a space between you and others who might actually be infected or infect you. We all have a role to play in preventing person-to-person spread of this disease, which can be deadly for vulnerable groups. For more information on how you can social distance, please go to coronavirus.gov. Hello, everyone. It's your reigning Miss Continental, Vanessa Van Cartier, and you are listening to The Talk with Mika and Friends. It's The Talk with Mika and It's me, Micah. Welcome back to the Talk with Micah and Friends, episode number 82, Continental Conversation. Uh, Last night, we spoke with Aja Dupree, Miss Continental Elite 2019. We actually had a wonderful conversation. Uh, We even learned some new things about her life and her career, and I hope that you all enjoy. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to hear it, please visit blogtalkradio.com forward slash the talk with Micah. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash the talk with Micah. Follow me on the site if you aren't already, and then click on the episode, or any episode for that matter. Um, also remember, you can find the show through the Purple Podcast app on your iPhone, okay? And that's for free. Um, and soon, all episodes will be readily available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Again, guys, I have to reiterate, during this pandemic of COVID-19, many of you are out of work, you're working from home, you're dealing with the virus, either directly or indirectly. I'm really trying to figure out how to move and press forward in these uncertain times. But I just want to say, please continue to remain positive despite what seems like an uncertainty. Don't consume yourself with the news and statistics, negative rhetoric and all that stuff. I need you guys to keep abreast of what's going on, of course. But at the same time, make use of the time that you have available to tap into the things that bring you laughter, joy, productivity and solace. Okay. Thank you to the many, I mean the many, many entertainers out there across the world that have been doing daily shows and weekly shows, virtual shows, and those that are producing and delivering the content as well to not only survive, but to bring everyone the joy, laughter, and fun to our homes and and pretty much like a sense of normalcy, okay? So thank you guys and please continue to entertain us. We all need that escape. Um, Again, I need you guys to remind everyone in your household, your family, and your friends of the importance of practicing everyday preventative actions that can help prevent the spread of this respiratory illness. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Stay home when you're sick except to get to medical care. Um, Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue or a cloth or something. 
um, clean, frequently touched surfaces and objects daily. In example, tables, countertops, lights, which is doorknobs and cabinet handles. Um, using a regular household detergent, cleaner, and water. Okay, wash your hands frequently, guys. Wash your hands frequently with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Sing happy birthday to yourself. Hey, that's about 20 seconds. Um, especially after going to the bathroom, before eating, and after blowing your nose, even uh, after eating. Uh, if soap and water are not readily available at the time, use a hand sanitizer that contains at least 60% alcohol. All right. And very important, please adhere to the curfew hours in your respective cities and states. Please, I have to say it again. Please adhere to the curfew hours in your respective cities and states and stay home. Only go out for groceries, medicine, if you need to make a quick run to the postal office like I did the other day. Things like that, okay? Again, please be safe and do what's instructed so that one day we can all be together again. Hugging on each other, light hugs. Not not heavy hug, but light hugs. <laughs> um, and be around each other again, okay? Now that all of that is out the way, which was very important, let's go ahead and pay a few bills. And when we come back, we will be joined with Miss Continental Plus 2019, the lovely, legendary Darcel Stevens, for an up-close and personal conversation. So hang tight, and we'll be right back in just a second. released my first book, I remember thinking very heavily about Elon Harris and how he did it, how he managed to reach millions of people around the world through his work and how I would do it. His readers became my readers. I write because it's my passion. I write with black people on my mind and black gay men in my heart. Toni Morrison gave me the courage to say that out loud. Yes, I can write about white people. White people can write about black people. Anything can happen in art. There are no boundaries there. I could write about anything, anyone, but I choose to write about our experience. Here's my love letter to black people. It has nothing to do with who reads the book. Everyone, I hope, of any race, any gender, any country. Book of Jewels is 11 of the biggest life lessons that I've learned to date. And the stories behind those lessons. Book of Jewels is available now on Audible, all e-readers, and Amazon.com. Visit www.craigthewriterstewart.com for more information. It's my back again. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is the Etcetera Twins, and we hope everyone is being safe during these challenging times. Look out for our brand new single, Quarantined, out today. Get our brand new single, Quarantine, at etcetera twins.com. 
Bless up, world. Have you heard about social distancing? You gotta stay at home if you can. It's very serious. We have to stay home. Not just to protect yourself, but to protect others. You don't want to spread the coronavirus in your community. Don't go outside, even if you think you're fine. Stay at least six feet away from other people. Two, arms length. Two arms. Do not hug. Don't shake hands. Yes, no touching for now. Any avoidable trips, avoid. Nope, not traveling anywhere. Pick up food or get it delivered. Staying home helps lower the risk for everyone. Protect your life, protect your loved ones, and protect the world. We can save lives, okay? Stay at home. Stay at home. Stay at home. That's the key. Just because you're at home doesn't mean that we can't be alone together. 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 Cool. I'm representing Metropolitan Continental, Puff, and my name is Darcel Stevens, and I'm contestant number 21. If I'll call your number, just step forward, and we will move right along. Let's bring down contestant number 21, Darcel Stevens. When the heart speaks, the mind finds it indecent to object. What is the most enduring value you hold in your heart? To answer the question, what is the most joyed value I hold in my heart? It's truth. And my truth is, I realize that I'm a little older than the girls in this pageant. And I realize that I may not be as relevant as some folks. But my truth is, is that I believe that I am continental. I believe that I am justice. I am beautiful, I'm talented, and most importantly, I'm powerful. And what I hold true and dear to my heart is that Continental has given me a platform in which I can be relevant, that I can make a difference no matter how young, how old, and, or how naive, or how whatever it may take. I'm here, and I'm here to stay. And my truth that I hold, Nikki, so dear, is the truth that I am here, and I'm relevant, and I'm very happy to be a part of Continental. Better up tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is contestant number 23, Debbie Sherry. And our first runner-up tonight is contestant number 18, Layla LaRue. And ladies and gentlemen, your newly crowned Miss Continental Plus, contestant number 21, Darcel Stevens. Hey everyone, it's your reigning Miss Continental Elite, Aja Dupree, and you're listening to The Talk with Micah and Friends. All right. Thank you so very much to Vanessa as well as uh, Aja for those radio uh, pull-ins and, and blurbs. So I thank you so very much. Um, we are back, and thank you all for taking the time out to support this platform as well as tonight's show. Um, if you would like to listen to any of the previous 81 episodes, you can simply visit blogtalkradio.com forward slash to talk with Micah. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash to talk with Micah. Um, or if you have any, uh, if you have an iPhone, you can actually go to the Purple Podcast app on your iPhone, 
search at the bottom right, I believe it is, the Talk with Micah and Friends, and you can play any episode at your leisure. And again, this is episode 82, so, you know, after tonight, we'll have 82 episodes there, dating all the way back to 2013. We will also soon be available on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn very soon for your listening pleasure, so stay tuned for that. Um, but well, as promised, uh, we are sitting down with the talented, the powerful, and the quite the ambassador and, and entertainer, reigning Miss Continental Plus, Miss Darcel Stevens. Welcome to the show, Darcel. Thank you, Michael. I'm here. Hey, everybody. Um, hopefully, everyone is able to hear us. We've had some testicle difficulties um, over the last two days, so you can imagine that once after all this is done, I'll be having a conversation with Blog Talk Radio. But uh, hopefully, you know, we're able to get through this without any glitches, but if so, um, just uh, bear with us. But by the time that you hear this, you probably won't even hear a glitch because I'm just that good at editing. Uh, so again, Darcel, I am so happy to have you on tonight. And um, what would have actually been your give up tonight as um, as the reigning queen? So you are still Miss Continental Plus until further notice. Um, but I am so glad. I that, am. <laughs> okay. Uh, I am so glad that we were able to celebrate you on this special uh, on this day in this very special way by doing this Continental Conversation interview. So are you ready to go ahead and dig into tonight's conversation and interview? I sure am. Let's do it. Okay, great. So let's start with some rapid-fire Darcel icebreaker questions before we get into everything okay. about who you are. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. I would just want you to go ahead and fire off those answers, and then we'll get into the meat of Darcel Stevens. So what's your favorite place to visit? Oh, oh, you wanted more than one word. Okay. <laughs> well, my home in Crystal River, Florida, and Danella, visiting my family. Um, I have two sisters that are remaining, and I don't see them often enough. So home is uh, my favorite place to visit. Okay, home, great. What is, um, or who is your favorite artist to perform when you're on stage? Oh, right now, probably, uh, it's Aretha Franklin. Okay. Um, she, you know, she passed away, right. and um, you know, she wasn't kind of relevant until she's away. If you're a fat girl, you you, you probably have Aretha in your repertoire. But uh, when she passed away, I, I started listening to more of her music than her number ones, and uh, we found out that she's quite a wonderful vocalist, uh, and just rekindled my love for Aretha. And uh, so I've been enjoying bringing that to. Uh, my audience, um, something that's a little off the beaten path, and uh, I, I just really love Aretha, and I, I understand why she's the queen of soul. Yeah, Aretha. Okay, Aretha. All right, so what's um, your favorite thing to eat during the holidays? Greens. Greens. Uh, I love them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love greens. Something my mother passed on quite a uh, while ago. Uh-huh. It was something I always insisted when I came home. Mm-hmm. I wanted some turnips okay. and mustard drinks, uh-huh. either, not mixed together, but separately. Okay, Those I was about to ask that. Do you do, se- do you do it together or separate? <laughs> no, I like them separate. Um, seasoned with some smoked turkey, oh, and uh, that's my favorite thing to eat. Actually, as a matter of fact, I got some thawing out in the kitchen right now, leftover from things, uh, 
Thanksgiving or Christmas. Okay. But I'm going to chow down on them after I finish with you. I know that's right. <laughs> um, so, and, and that's one of my favorites, too. I, to be honest, I'm, I'm from South Carolina, so I know all about the greens and the turnips and the chitlins and yeah. all that good stuff. Um, what's your favorite dish? What's your favorite dish to actually cook, other than the greens and the turnips and all that? What's your favorite dish to cook? Favorite, um, probably uh, baked chicken. I'm not so much of a good cook, and uh, I had a roommate for 18 years who's a culinary chef, and I've been oh. picking up little bits, tidbits from him. So I'm exploring how to do something other than frying chicken and. I'm discovering a lot of herbs and spices, and as long as I can put it in the oven and roast it, uh-huh. uh, doing the prep work, I've, I've, I've had a newfound love for chicken. So okay. that's my favorite thing to cook right now, yeah. Okay. Chicken thighs, chicken thighs. <laughs> I'll get it breast. Chicken yeah. thighs, okay, okay. Um, what is your absolute dream job? Dr- excuse me, dream job. What's your absolute Favorite, uh, absolute dream job, mm. if you could have it. I would love to be. I would love to be one of the co-hosts on the View. I would mm. love to be in that arena. I love politics. I love. I I live and breathe it. I I find it invigorating. I love. I love the the way it uh, titillates me. It's always ever fluid and it's it's so such a turmoil. It has ups and downs and. Um, I would love to just be able to have a platform where I could just spew my my beliefs or debate with someone against their beliefs politically. So that would be probably my dream job. Okay. Yeah. Or, being or, of, or, or even a being panel. A pundit, being a pundit. Being a pundit. Yeah. Being a pundit for someone or um, or being on a panel. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, it's never too late. You do know that. <laughs> um. Uh, Whoever wants me, you can. Okay, you can have <laughs> So, speaking of The View, because that's one of my favorites as well, um, who is your favorite oh, host? Yeah. Okay. Who is your favorite host on The View? Well, right well, of course everyone loves The View, but right now, and I, I like Megan McCain. Okay. And I like Megan McCain because she's, I don't agree with her probably 85% of the time. Mm-hmm. Most people know I, I'm, I'm a very uh, moderate uh, Democrat. Mm-hmm. and But I like because she has taught me so much about the opposition. Right. And I, while I agree with many of the, the perspectives of the other ladies, I don't learn anything. Gotcha. But she has given me reason to pause and reason to give me a better view of what we up against. And, and uh, if you watch the view a whole lot, she's pretty much given us a blueprint to win the White House. Yes, yeah, she and is. all we have to do is just kind of follow I'm going to give her that. She, and, is. Um, she definitely is doing that. Yeah. No, she does get on my nerves every night, you know, sometimes when she's whining, whatever. But uh, for the most part, I have found her to be one of the most con- one of the conservatives that I- I'm able to listen to and um, and to look through the, the pettiness of her behavior and actually see that she is re- she really knows what she's talking about. So she's my favorite, yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this. If you were given a gift, right, and the gift was you yeah. could either be invisible or be able to read minds, which one would you want? Oh, that's a good question. I think I, I would, I think I, I would, I like to be invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think invisible because then I can sit and study behavior 
and just uh, reading someone's mind, I find that a little too intrusive to yeah. me. And I think one thing one thing about one thing about life is you don't know what to expect. Yeah. And those caveats of, of something happening exciting or something tragic, I think it all bundles up into one package, which which is a learning experience. And I would hate to deprive myself of that experience of learning by knowing what's to come, especially when I'm dealing with people. Um, I, one of the things I pride myself on is knowing, getting to know another person, and that usually comes by conversation or just having that interaction. And if I were to have that power of reading somebody's mind, I think I would lose that. It would, it would not become a challenge, and it wouldn't become fruitful for me, fruitful for me anymore. So in visibility, I would just sit, sit back and observe people. And I think you can learn a lot from observing people. And, uh, and I, actually, I do that a lot now. I think it's best to go into a room sometimes, and you don't need to be the first person to speak. That's right. You just need That's to sit back and observe. That's right. And I think um, silence sometimes speaks a million words and speaks very loud in the room. You know, when um, oftentimes if I'm in a meeting and um, everybody's chattering about something and I don't say anything, um, whoever's in charge knows that I'm probably not in agreement with you. And then they ask my opinion, and of course, you know, I give it. Right. But just by being silent, it speaks, uh, speaks uh, volumes, yeah. Okay. If you had 25 hours in a day, how would you use that extra hour? Mm-hmm. Well, I used to say sleeping and resting until this uh, furlough, but um, at 25th hour, um, I think for me, um, just just reconnecting with people and doing things that I really wanted to do but yet didn't have the time. I have a piano in my room. Uh-huh. Um, I used to play piano in church. Okay. I haven't touched the piano in years. I started playing a little bit today. And oh. found out it's not like jumping on a bicycle. It's a little bit more difficult. Right. But if I had you know, that time, a little extra within a day, to do things that I know that I that brought me joy, but yeah. yet for some reason in this mad life, it just kind of disappears. Yeah. And um, we forget about them. And I used to enjoy playing piano. It was just a it relaxed me, and it, it was a skill that I loved, and I was able to to. Uh, give to other folks, uh, playing for churches, and, you know, you just, the, the rigors of life, and kind of forget about it, and then um, you wake up one day wishing that you had that back, so um, I, I just want to do some things if I had that extra hour that I have forgotten about, it, just rekindle those, those special moments and those special skills. Yeah, and, and you brought up a great point, because um, just like now, and I'm loving, to, I'm loving um, being able to see um, and most because people are sharing on, on social media, things of that nature. And I'm, I'm, I'm loving that people are having the conversation about this is the time I'm home, whether I'm home and not working, home and working, I still have some time um, to really think about the things that bring me joy, think about things that I'm passionate about. And now I have the takeout time because, mm-hmm. as I said before, I think I said it on our Continental thing, is that um, our Continental Zoom meeting that we had the other day is that, you know, I, I go to work, go to work, go to work. You know, I'm 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 up here in the, in the New York area, so of course there's a commute there. I live in Jersey. I by the time I get home, mm. cook my food. I'm tired. I don't want to devote any energy or time to anything else. Um, yeah. But I feel like for a lot of us, what it has done, and even what you just said, even what it has done, it has allowed us to kind of tap into the things that 
Um, we are passionate about the things that bring us joy, the things that, you know, make us, you know, feel really good. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear that um, as it relates to you with the piano, because for me, it's been acting. Acting in theater has been my thing for so many years. And coming into the industry, um, you know, what, 20 years ago, for me, it was, oh, my God, this is, this is an art form that kind of does, you know, what I'm used to. And while I don't want to necessarily be on the stage as a drag queen or as a male lead, um, I can tap into and lend my talents in other ways, whether that be mentoring, helping people, whatever. So um, I think anyone that's at the sound of our voices, you know, if you haven't figured out what it is, this is the best time to figure out what it is, you know, and then start the process. Yeah. Absolutely. It, time is something that we have right now, and um, it's very important that you use it wisely. Otherwise, time will become the enemy. And um, I, I really want to try and use this time to be productive and to explore those things that were very passionate to me. And, and you know those things that were missing that make me whole. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's certain wholeness, and when you have, you're very well rounded, rounded when you explore other things and you feel you have that passion for those things in your life and you encompass them and make them part of your daily routine. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things, even as simple as riding a bicycle, you know. Mm. I, you know, I, I've been able to buy one of those. I haven't ridden a bicycle since, and remember, what, college. But, you know, just, this time has really made my mind think about what makes me whole, yeah. what would give me joy, what what would give me some fulfillment during this yeah. this this downtime. Yeah. And uh, you know, piano, bicycling. You know, of course, you know I do all my yard work and right. you know all that kind of stuff. But other things, and I'm not even, I'm, I think I'm thinking about I need to pick up a book as well and start reading it too. So. Um, those, those are some things that make me so whole, yeah. And then the last, my last rapid-fire question would be, if you could change your age forever, what age would mm-hmm. you choose and why? Well, I think for me, I like a, a, a 55 would be good for me. I'll stay there forever. Stay there. I know everyone wants, most people want to be in their 20s or whatever. Right. So there's a Mickey Howard song says experience is a good teacher. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It really is. Yeah. It really, really is. I always tell kids, I say, that when you're in your 20s, you can make all the mistakes. It's, you know, it's, it's fertile ground. The world evolves around you. Go for it. Um, when you're in your 30s, you try to start settling down and you start seeing a little bit of the errors of your ways. And you start thinking about the future. Um, and you, you want to embark upon that career to have some type of longevity and have some type of security at the end of your journey. Yeah. And when you're in your 40s, all, the, the, all of the BS that you went through and all of the contemplating, things that all come together in your 40s. Many, many folks say the 40s are the best times of your life. Mm. You have the usefulness of the past, the education of the past, the, uh, the upset, the errors. All of it comes into play into making you whole. Uh, your 40s. But in the 50s, I found out that I kind of sit above everything. Um, you kind of hover there. You see it coming a mile away. You know it. You've experienced You can smell it. You can taste it. Nothing really seems unfamiliar uh, because not that you've done it all, but you're very familiar with signs, and uh, uh, you can see it creeping upon you. And that's what I, I really 
and able to process through it, as opposed to being reactionary or um, just dealing with it completely. Fifties mm-hmm. are a great time. You you've earned that right to to hover above yeah. situations, and um, you give great advice to people. You know, and one of the things you do learn when you're in your fifties is that advice is given. It's, it's spoon fed. You give it just minimal amount because you can't deprive a young person from going through their error that's right. and their challenge. That's right. Because that's what you went through, and you wouldn't be at the point that you were if someone changed the way for you and you had no obstacles. Right. So um, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting because you can see this person, if they continue, you know they're going to lead down the wrong path. Or if they continue, you know they got great things ahead of you. Yeah. But you can only sit back and watch. And you can throw a little something here and there, but uh, in your fifties, the wisdom comes that you can only you can only share that advice and spoonfuls. You don't want to deprive anyone. And uh, I love being in my fifties. I think it's a great time um, uh, on every aspect, um, uh, mentally, spiritually, uh, sexually. It is a great time. Yeah, you can call me daddy. And it don't matter. I am very happy to be in my sister. Yeah. Oh, I think I think that's a good thing. I think the way that you explained that was very thorough and no one would not be able to understand um what it's like to be in your fifties or even your forties until you get there. You know, but I think that mm-hmm. you know, just from the people that I know I'm I'm on the cuff of being in my forties. I'm I'm almost there, I'm I'm almost over, but mm. I'm excited about it, you know, and even in my thirties I've I've learned a lot. Um I'm an observer just like you. That's something that people used to be kind of scared of scared of when it came to me because I can go into a room and be, you know, at someone's house and I'm just sitting there quiet. But they're like, oh my God, what are you I'm just observing. I'm and that and that, and those things have kept me you know, from, you know, out of a lot of things and from around uh, from around a lot of people, you know, making sure that I'm listening, but I'm also watching. Um, so I'm excited, you know, most people may not be or whatever are scared or timid too, but I'm excited to, you know, the Lord spare my life, as my grandmother would say, to be in my 40s and 50s and so forth and so on. So again, I think mm-hmm. that, that is amazing. And, um, you know, we appreciate, I know for me, I appreciate being able to be around people that are of, you know, an older age or a, older, a mature age because um, I can learn um, so much from them. But, yeah, I think that, you know, I mean, my, my mother's 56, so she's 57 this year, I believe. And so, yeah, I get it. I mean, she's having the time of her life. So I definitely appreciate that. So, uh, Darso, let's get into who you are. Um, you did tell us about where you're from, but tell the listening audience, the people that are listening and are supporting you and love you, um, where are you from originally? Um, tell us about your siblings, um, the favorite things you love to do as a child, that sort of thing. Well, I'm originally from uh, Crystal River, Florida. Uh, that's where I got my uh, formal education. Um, it's a rural city in Florida on the West Coast, and we're known for the manatees and beautiful spring water. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a place that once I left, I really didn't go back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, I grew up in a, a Christian uh, a household, um, Baptist. I converted Pentecostal, uh, quite frankly, because the music was a little bit more upbeat and, <laughs> and my friends were there. Um, I do consider myself a Christian. Okay. I consider myself saved, sanctified, and filled with the, the Holy Ghost. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm also, um, I am a veteran.
Catherine. Uh, I'm a college graduate. Uh, let's put all this in a nutshell. Um, what else? Uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I work at the Parliament House. Right. I'm a, I'm in the community. I'm a, I'm a community leader. Mm-hmm. Um, I also um, am kind of like a mother to a lot of folks in this community. Right. Um, some say I'm the voice of this community. Um, I really care about my community. Um, I'm very outspoken. I'm very politically uh, astute. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, I'm actually one of the people. If I consider you my friend. Uh, that that is something really powerful to me, and I I really cherish calling someone my friend, okay. um, and that is unconditional. Okay. Um, I do love my family. Mm-hmm. I am uh, the patriarch of my family, my immediate family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my siblings, I have two left. I had six. I'm down to mm-hmm. unless uh, we come up with another one. So my dad is philandering. Um, <laughs> so that's a whole other story. But um, I, 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 my family is something very important to me. Okay. Um, I will move heaven and heaven and hell to make something happen for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, they all know me. They all know Darcel. They all love me, and they all love what I do. I, they've seen me perform. They support me. Uh, I support them. Mm-hmm. They are not judgmental, and we're talking about. Not only the females, but the males. Mm-hmm. Family to me means a lot. I often coordinate our family reunion. It, it's something that's very special to me, and it's something that um, I realize that I have been handed uh, this mantle to keep the family together. Yeah. And I witnessed that with my father, and I witnessed that with my mother. Family was important that we kept it together. We, there was no such thing as distant first cousins. There was no such thing right. as distant family. Mm-hmm. We made efforts to come together, and uh, we were sent off to uncles and aunts' houses for the summer so that we could get to know our first cousins. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really diligent about timing, and we do yeah. live feeds uh, a lot, but we see one another. Yeah. And... Um, it's a little different because everybody's spread out now as opposed to when I was growing up, we were all within a, a one or two hour radius. Mm-hmm. But those are some of the things that are really passionate to me and who makes up uh, Darnell and Darcel. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just living the life, okay. living the life. Mm-hmm. Well, and so I was writing some things down as you were speaking. Um, and um, as I always do when I'm doing these interviews and something that just, stood out to me, and, I, and it's kind of the later part of what you said in regards to family um, and having your family support you. Um, I, I was able to witness that firsthand, you know, live and in person at um, the preliminary Georgia Premier Continental. And so I think that, especially in this community, um, it is very important. So you may, we, you never know who this, who this uh, interview may, may touch or reach, but I think it's just I always try to preach it as much as I can or say it, that it's always important that the mothers and the fathers of um, of LGBTQI plus children that you do support, um, that you do respect, um, uh, know that it is not. This is my own my own personal thing. It's not. It's you know my I, I don't have anything against what other people think, but it is not a decision um, that we've made. That's my own thing. You know, it's, it's something that that's innate within us. You know, and so what we've decided mm-hmm. to do is to live authentically at the core to who we are. 
and live our lives the best way we see fit. We're not going to agree on everything. Mm-hmm. You you think one thing. You that your parents may think one thing. Your 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 siblings may think another. Cousins, whatever the case may be. At the end of the day, it's still always about support because I'm still a human being. I still you know I have love in my heart. I I I, I do things just like everybody else. So. What you, t- what you said about family, it resonates to me and it resonates to a lot of us that we have to have that support. We have to have that family support no matter what it is because it goes a long way, especially okay. those are the people that shaped us, you know, into who we are or, yeah. had, or had a hand in it. It does a conclusion within my family because within my family there are people who believe in my lifestyle. Right. Maybe an abomination unto God. Mm-hmm. But I have to say they have always given me the respect. Yes. Um, in the position as the patriarch of my family. Mm-hmm. And that's all I can I can ask for. Mm-hmm. And that respect also lends itself to uh, them coming out of their environment and coming to the part of the house to watch in the show. Mm-hmm. And I know that their, their faith is in, uh, collides with my lifestyle. Uh-huh. But that measure of respect was something that was treasured and something that's always been treasured. Yeah. And they let me know that the bonds of family goes I believe it's as spiritual as your faith, yes. um, loving, loving me unconditionally. And so, while they, while some family members may may love me, as I said, unconditionally, there are some who may not um, agree with my lifestyle, yeah. but they respect. But they respect, and I'm very happy. Yeah. So you talked about your military career. You did say that you're a veteran, and I know that you are um, a veteran. You served our country some time ago. Can you tell us about that experience, yeah. like? Who or what convinced you to join the military, and how long were you in? Well, I went in when I was 17 years old, straight out of high school, and I chose to go into the military uh, because my family sent me to college. So that was one of the the perks of signing up was that I would uh, be able to go to school as well as serve my country. Now, back in those days, a recruiter would tell you anything that they wanted just to get you to sign on a dotted line. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did. And my parents actually did because I was 17. Um, and I went into what is called the old guard of the Army, and um, it, it was really something I didn't know anything about. All I knew it was in Washington, D.C., where they said, you know, you would be on the White House lawn. This was the honor guard of the Army. And, um, you know, if you don't know military service, everybody goes through boot camp, and then they go to their specialty training. Um, Mine, I was infantry. Infantry is the fighting force, the ground troops of the military. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. All I knew, I was in Washington, D.C., and I was going to go to school. I did not know that I was the first to be deployed if any action came Mm. about. Um, But, but, um, I did go to Washington, D.C., went all through my boot camp and everything, and went into my training. And um, when I got to D.C., it was something different for me. It was a lot more structure, more so than boot camp, because this, my, the unit I was in is the face of the Army. Those are the people you see watching in the inaugurational parade. Those are the people you see at the uh, White House for arrivals. Those are the people that guard the tomb of an unknown soldier. That was my my unit. It was a presidential escort unit. Oh, okay. Um, so the standards were higher. Um, and for me, a little ten year old boy coming from Crystal River, mm-hmm. pretty much having my way. Um, this was boot camp was an eye opener, but coming there at the uh, the old guard was 
um, it was so structured. At one time, I thought they were going to transfer me because I wasn't going to. I it just seemed like I was making the cut. But everything had to be precise. Um, we all saw the Clark Sisters movie where the mother said, "We, I want you to sound as one." Yeah. That's how the military worked. There was no sound. There was no standout. We had to act as one. And not only that, we had to look like one. We had to be as thin as one, which, you know, I come from the seventh family. That was always a challenge, weight. Mm-hmm. And um, so those are the things that were very difficult for me. Um, but I did fall in line. I lost my weight. I got my waistline, and I became one of the old guards. And it's something that I cherish to this day being a part of that unit. Um, there's only a select amount of people who are uh, accepted into that unit, and you're given trinkets that when you can come back uh, when you're in D.C. and you can visit your unit, uh, they have uh, reunions. It's it's it's, it's kind of like a fraternity if you don't understand what I'm talking about. Oh no, I I, but, I def- um, yeah no I definitely I'm from a military background. My dad did 27 years yeah. in the in the army, so I totally okay yeah. <laughs> and we also, I also was stationed on a tri-service base meaning that um, not only the Army was there, which is Fort Myers, Virginia, mm-hmm. but the Air Force and the Navy was there. And uh, within D.C., all of the Honor Guards were there for the, all, 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 all four of the brands. Okay. Yeah. And um, each one of them was at the pinnacle of their perfection representing uh, their service. And so um, it was quite – I spent four years there. Okay. And um, from there I – got a recommendation to go to uh, University of Florida. Okay. And um, while I was at University of Florida, I enrolled in Army ROTC uh, okay. uh, to get my commission. Okay. And um, I did I did get my commission, uh, but they branched me uh, field artillery, which I wanted medical service for because my bachelor's is in psychology. Uh-huh. They didn't want to give that to me, so I said, you know, screw it. I went into the National Guard as an ordinance officer for four years. And uh, from there, I resigned my commission. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, so th- that's the scoop about my military career. All right. Yeah. So I, did a total of eight, I did a total of eight years. So you did, so it was the Honor Guard for the first four years and then National Guard for the other four. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, well, I don't have that. I mean, everyone, almost all the older men in my family, um, we're in some form of the military, but be that um, Army or the Marines. We have a few people that are in the, in the Navy. Um, again, my dad did, what, 28 years. He did majority majority of his years in Berlin, Germany, so that's kind of like where I started. You know, I did like my first maybe eight or nine years there. Um, and so I traveled a, a lot, and, you know, the military, it was crazy because my dad um, – when, because I, I did Navy in JRTC, so I was in the Navy ROTC in high school all four years, and um, so when I got to it, I was like, oh, you know, I want to go to college, but you know, the ROTC, I mean, going to the military would be my backup, and my, I just remember my dad always saying, you can go to the military, but you can only go to one branch, and the only one, the only branch that I approve of would be the um, the Air, was it the Air Force? I think it was the Air Force. Um, he said he did not want me to come to the Army because the Army was no longer, the, by the 2000s, 2001, 2002, he was like, the Army is not what it was when I first got in, you know. So a lot of yeah. things had changed during that time. And so he was very adamant about it, but I never went in. But I definitely appreciate you um, and every 
single person. I have a son that's actually deployed. My One of my gay children is actually deployed right now. He's on a ship. He's in the Navy out in Japan. And so I, uh, I, oh, cool. I, huh? That's like cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been in, he's been in uh, eleven years, I believe. He now he he That's didn't right. think that he was going. To, well, he thought that he was going to enjoy. It. Needless to say, he's ready to come back home. But uh, no, I just I just wanted to, you know I wanted to highlight that because I think it's very important because um, there's a lot of people in our community um, that has either served or currently serving. Um, so I definitely appreciate you being yeah. um, of service to our community. I mean, to our, to our nation. Um, yeah, and I, I think what right now, not to cut you off, oh, I, I think it's a, a really amazing time for LGBTQ people to, if they want to serve their country. In my day, if you had any inkling of being gay, you would get kicked out with a dishonorable yeah. discharge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you can go in as yourself. Yeah. And um, I have a friend of mine who uh, is in the Air Force. Um, his name is Chad. And I go to his promotions in D.C., which is with, uh, up in Pensacola for another promotion. And the, the Air Force saved his life. And he's probably a dude about 30 years there. Mm. But the fact of the matter is that he's openly gay. And um, I saw something, if I can indulge you for one second. Oh, yeah. I saw something at his uh, promotions. Uh, there was about 12 of us flew to D.C. for his promotion. Uh, he was the youngest person to be the secretary to the uh, to the uh, chief of the Air Force, uh, master chief or what is it? Uh, I don't know the Air okay. Force. Right? Uh-huh. So he was his secretary. So th- this job is sought after by thousands of uh, airmen, and you have to interview. It's, a, it's an arduous process to get that one position, and he got it. Oh, he, wow. told his, he told his commander that he was gay, uh-huh. and he said, that's fine, that's cool. Uh-huh. And time has changed. When he got promoted, he was at the Pentagon. We all went through the clearance, got into the Pentagon, and we sat there, and beside him was his lover at the time, uh-huh. and he's a, he's a military police, and that's by his, his profession. And he was promoted by the general of the military police, and then uh, his commander came up with his strike song. But what struck me more, being a veteran and seeing the evolution of gay people in the military mm-hmm. was the people who came to witness this, this enlisted man get a promotion to E6. Mm. Uh, typically, if you're an officer, there's usually one or two there, but not generals or people of that, that right. range. And when I looked around and saw these stars on their shoulder, it, it, made, it just made me feel so proud mm-hmm. that from where we came yes. to where we are now, that people respect him and knowing his lifestyle, they showed up to honor him and his emotion. Oh, wow. Now, at that particular time, President Obama was putting a medal of honor, honor on another soldier at the Pentagon. And I looked around, it gives me goosebumps saying it, I looked around and it was this, you could tell it was an officer and uh, his camo. And as I looked, I saw uh, four stars on him. And I went, well, who's this? This was the Commandant of the Marine Corps. Oh. And the Commandant of the Marine Corps came from a Medal of Honor and went to Chad's promotion. Not an officer, but an enlisted, but an enlisted gay man. You know, I got teary-eyed. I, I never in my life thought I would see something like that. Yeah. And um, you know, I met the Commandant of the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. but it was 
LGBT people. If you want to serve your country, go do it. There's nothing stopping you but your own mind. Go do it. And I encourage these kids who, you know, have no direction, take two years, take four years, find yourself, and if it's not for you, get out. Then get out. And if it is, you got yourself a career. Absolutely. So uh, that's something very special to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so moving higher in the program, <laughs> Let's let's uh, talk about you coming from being uh, you know being in the military and all those great things to coming into our entertainment community and, and and pageants and shows and things of that nature. How were you exposed to that part or this part of the community as it relates to like shows, entertainment, and pageantry? How did that happen? Well, um, back in the seventies, <laughs> and, and when. With, uh, that's when I went in in uh, 78. Okay. But in the, when I got out to go to uh, UF, University of Florida, um, one of the things I knew I was always different. So I was trying to explore where I, what kind of person am I? Because you have to realize those four years, I, while I knew I was different, you keep those impulses at bay. And, you know, you have a job to do, that's the mission. And if you're military, you know exactly, and you you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, when I got to the University of Florida, I wanted to explore who being gay. Now, all of this is on the download because when you're in ROTC, um, if they even have an inkling of you being gay, you would get kicked out of the program. I went to the Melody Club. This is the bar in Gainesville, Florida. Mm -hmm. The first thing I saw when I got in there was this woman singing uh, a song. Mm -hmm. It was Natalie Cole. You know, this would be, I went, oh, my gosh, she's like Natalie Cole. Uh And, you know, I didn't know she was Uh singing. And one, you know, one thing led to another. I kept going week after week after week. And then I became more familiar with Summer Queens. You know, I've always been a people person. And the next thing you know, I was on stage as one of their male leads. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I was the male lead. And so it was turnabout night, and my <laughs> drag mother, B.D. Uh, Williams, okay. put me in drag. Now, you have to remember, at that, that time, the number one show was Dynasty. Okay. When I looked in that mirror, you cannot tell me I was not Diane Carroll. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the drag bug hit me. Okay. And, uh you know, you skip forward, you know, just to, to people influencing me and teaching me. Um, Darcel came about, and then that part of this. But the drag bug hit me probably in the mid-'80s, and that was on a, uh, a turnabout show. And um, I realized that, one, you could captivate an audience, and that was something really powerful for me because no matter if they dislike you or they loved you, you had their attention. Yeah. And it was my audience, and I had the right to do whatever I wanted to do within those three minutes. And that was not only a great responsibility, but it was invigorating to me. And um, I've been on that path ever since, yeah. Now, now I know this was the mid-'80s, okay, but I know you still sharp as a whip. <laughs> do you remember – the first song you performed, or one of the first songs. It doesn't have to be the first one if you don't know the first one. What was like one of the first Oh. Well, um, that night I did um, Patti LaBelle's 
uh, over the rainbow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Had it over the rainbow. And, um, yeah, that was, oh, that was quite a long time ago. I, I think I got a, yeah, I got a couple of tips and, yeah, it was it was it was good. It, it, it obviously resonated on me so much that I wanted to do it again. That you wanted to do it again, again. right? Okay. I'm still doing it. But uh, I do remember that was the number, and and I remember uh, my feet were hurting so bad because back in those days they didn't have shoes that fit, uh, you know, the normal size queen foot like a thirteen. Right. And uh, so you were in, so you were in a ten. Size eleven. Uh, my feet were killing me, but when you get on that stage, the adrenaline, just like anybody who's, yeah. who's an actor yeah. in, in the entertainment business, whatever woes you have, they all disappear. Yeah. Yeah, a certain amount of adrenaline takes over, and you have your choice to command the audience, or you, you just don't go on stage, or you walk away. Right. And uh, I chose, I see the opportunity. I sure did. So, and I hope, I hope to continue to see it whenever we get out of this little uh Hiatus. <laughs> Lord, please help us. So, Darcel, where did that? Was that your first name, or? Oh no. Okay. <laughs> My name. I I was called um, Darzilla. That was because I used to do a parody. Of uh, drag, I would wear lampshades on my head and do Sardes <laughs> with a with a mustache mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, so the, my number because you back in those days we had the LPs and I would just keep going and going and going. You know, mm-hmm. I did a whole damn record and um, and I chose the name Darcel uh, because of on the Solid Gold. Uh-huh. The dancers that came out before there was a lead dancer. Her name was Darcel. Oh, okay. And she had a long hair. Uh huh. And she was just beautiful. And I think what intrigued me about her, she was dark skinned. Mm. Because if you know your history, you know there weren't a lot of dark skinned folks. But right. I'm she was the lead. She was the lead dancer. And I chose Stephen, uh, a young woman who tragically uh, died. Uh, she would always help me with my makeup, but her name was Rochelle Stevens, okay. and I took her last name. Oh. So uh, that's how Rochelle Stevens came about. I always love to hear how the name started. You know, started about, and it 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 always happens that you start out with you know one name. I mean, I did drag for nine years. I mean, it wasn't long, mm-hmm. but I did it, and you know, I the name started one way, and then it I shortened it, but. Asking so many, I told um, Aja last night, asking so many icons and legends in this industry and the interviews that I've had over the last six, seven years is that I always ask them about that that moment, like, okay, your name. And it's like, for the most part, no one starts out with the name that they end up with. <laughs> so I just always see that. Yeah, that's it. So you got to find your way. You got to find your way, you know, and yeah. see what's it. Yeah, names back in um those days meant a lot. There was something sentimental attached to them. I think names today are just made up to shock value. Right. You know, but uh, and even before then, I was in that era before, um, I was in that era when names were sentimental and they also kept their masculinity. Because there were a lot of entertainers around me who kept their male names. 
they would be introduced as uh, Mr. Such and Such, Mr. Such and Such, come to the stage. Yeah. Uh, but I chose, I chose the feminine name, but partly because, um, you know, I couldn't really be out, and I wanted to confuse my family that was there. Oh. Uh, so that's a whole other story. Yeah, family in the city that you come out and drag. So right. that's another story. Um. So then we talk about pageantry. And if I'm not mistaken, you're mm-hmm. former, is it Miss National at Large? Yes, I am former Miss National at Large. Okay. Yes. So what, when, when you won Miss National at Large, was that like your first time ever competing or you had competed a, a, a few times prior to winning? National at Large. Okay. Um, many people don't know, I had qualified for Continental Plus prior to um, Miss National at Large. And the reason I did not go to... Uh, uh, Continental Plus is that my promoter uh, had uh, got arrested. Oh. And at that particular time, I could not afford to go without his help. And I have to say, I met Jimmy that first day. Jimmy came down, and I explained to him, and I think that's why he, he and I have, he has respect for me. I went up to him and explained to him just personally, he didn't know who I was, why I could not attend right. um, that pageant. And uh, he said, "We'll." He said, "Okay, we'll we'll see you some other time." And that that always stuck with me. But uh, pageantry has I, I I've done pageants from oh god from back in the eighties till uh, so Miss Continental Plus. Mm-hmm. I've always involved myself in some form of pageantry. Um, more so, there's been about maybe 10 years where I was behind the scenes of pageantry mm-hmm. as a promoter, as uh, someone who, um, uh, who someone who helped fundraising, all aspects of it, given my expertise, wheeling yeah. um, girls on current events, question and answer. I was more or less behind the scenes. But um, prior to that, there wasn't a good pageant. I, I'm a former Miss Florida Continental. I'm a former Miss uh, Florida U.S. of A. Uh, you know, I, you know, I've I won Central Florida. I've won quite a few pageants. Okay. And um, back in those days, there was no division. Um, a lot of those pageants, you know, you, everybody was grouped as one. Everybody so, was competing um, against everybody. I was, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And um, I was very happy to be uh, first runner up at Miss Duval. You know, way back in. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the international, this Florida international, there's several pageants back in the day in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about the back in the day in Jacksonville. When you went to a pageant, you need to have your stuff in the trunk, and you're ready to go when they call out the, the winner because somebody might have a pistol. <laughs> and it was not very unusual if someone had a pistol. And you know, somebody hollered, somebody got a gun, and everybody shouted. You know, today that might sound, oh, my God. But I tell you, that was the best fertile ground you could ever have for uh, coming up in Patrick and in the, in the system. Uh, it was such wonderful that that is and not, the Jacksonville was a toy for that. Right. Well, see, the thing is, it's not funny, but it's funny because I guess mm-hmm. they have been, and I've said this before too, like Sasha and all of them, like they Duval Jacksonville has been consistent in that for so many years because even they mm-hmm. were doing it in the eighties and the early nineties, they will carry on in the two thousand that same way. You know, yeah, and, 
So, you know, I'm so glad that everything that is no longer like that, but I just I just got a laugh out of that because I just I didn't think they they were doing all that back then. <laughs> I thought that was good. Like uh Basha. Uh-huh. Did you know Basha? No, I didn't know I I just met her like for the end of her um life. Uh, I met Basha way back. Basha was doing the mail contest when we would come from Gainesville to Jacksonville in the past. Mm-hmm. So I met Roosevelt, and he was quite a, a, a male entertainer. He would win everything. Mm-hmm. And then he crossed over to the Basha and started winning all that. Right. Uh, it, it was nothing for Basha to be in a pageant. And got second runner-up, and the fan club was like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> you, you, you know if you're in a club, and, or we in the health club, right. and somebody hollered, hand it down, it's done. I was like, get your ass, get on out of here. You know, and those were, those were just full time. Right, there, right. There's a video going around. Yeah. I have to ask uh, Aja about it, mm-hmm. of this international Florida from the 80s. I think it's from 87 or 88. That I was in it, and um, I got second runner up. Mm-hmm. I still ain't got my money. Ooh. And a fight broke out before the <laughs> right at the crowning. Penny Holiday won. Okay. And someone who was supposed to win, I don't. I think maybe it was Bosch or somebody. And there was a huge fight that broke out. And you know what I mean when I say fight. It ain't like two people fight. I'm talking about chairs and tables being yeah, yeah. You know, real knocked out. And my drive mama yanked me, and we went out the back door because, you know, I was ready to go and fight myself. Right. But um, that video is out somewhere. I have to ask oh, uh, wow. Arsha about it because that would be something I love to add in my archive. Oh, crazy. Um, so, so since I did ask about um, Miss National um, at large, uh, what was the thing then that you learned about yourself as being a national queen? Like, what did that ring teach you? Well, Miss National at large, I've always been kind of self-sufficient okay. and a leader, pretty much being a new pageant, oh, okay. a new national pageant system. I had to kind of pave my way. We're not talking about the days of social media. I mm-hmm. made my posters, mailed them to the place where I was doing the free mail mm-hmm. so that they could be up. You know, yeah. you had to be really... Uh, you had to really be your own administrator. Yeah. You had to be your uh, your agent. You had to be your um, um, your ad person. You had to be your financier. You, you had to be the negotiator. And all of this was way pre-RuPaul. You know, you would get these freelance and you would do it on word of mouth. And you would, you would do it by phone. We're not talking about cell phone. Mm-hmm. And it was a. It, you had to really be organized to make things happen, and I was very pleased. While I didn't have a ton of freedom, the ones that I went through took me to Texas and New Orleans, uh, Atlanta, uh, in Florida, uh, um, uh, in the Carolinas, mm-hmm. and you know we didn't fly. Yeah, you <laughs> we, drove. Yeah. We drove. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we drove all the way to Texas. You know, so it was it was quite an quite a learning experience and you know we would get into the car you know me and my driver companion and we would drive to these freedoms and the, it was about being the national representative and while the money was pennies on a dollar mm-hmm. you were the national representative and that that trumped everything else and pardon my friends um that that was the time you know as we 
grow older and as we do better, we know better. But um, that was a really learning experience for me, and I had a great time uh, being Miss National at Large, yeah. So you are an employee um, with a leadership level um, at the world-famous Parliament House that's been around and been in existence for over 40 years. Uh, how did that gig or how did that all turn into a career for you? Well, Miss um, P, who was the longtime MC at the Parliament House, and I think she was show director at one point, um, she wanted to retire. Mm-hmm. And Miss um, P was uh, is still beloved. Uh, she's passed on since then. There was an opportunity came for the MC spot. I didn't want to do it. I just wanted to be a showgirl. Right. And she threw me out. Oh, Miss P was very nonsense. You're going out there. I go, what do you mean? You're going out there. Prior to this in Gainesville, I had hosted the shows many times, and, you know, so I was, had some experience, but never on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, so she just threw me out to the woods, and it was it was a little terrifying because Miss <laughs> P was a renowned MC, very witty, uh, very smart. Not only she was a crack MC, she was a theater major. Okay. Uh, so she brought to the stage more than just uh, drag. Right. She brought an education to her audience. And then you threw me out there. And, you know, I did my one-liners, and you can't survive on one line. Right. Uh, you have to have a connection with the audience. And during that time, uh, we started interviewing different MCs from around the country, and I was the interim. And when it came to that time, I said, well, I definitely don't want this job. So they called me in and asked me to, um, to do this, have that position. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was prepared to say, no, I really don't want to do that. And then they offered me uh, some money. And I said, well, I'll try it for a while. <laughs> and, um, and I've been trying it for a number of years now. But uh, one of the, the great things that I learned from MC as an MC, which I have people I know, is uh, never never underestimate the intelligence of your audience. Mm. And with that, that word, those words, opened up a whole world for me. So I can go in and do satire. I can go in and maybe have a, a profound point and then wrap it up with something that put a smile on your face. The audience isn't stupid. If they didn't want to be there, they would they they wouldn't leave their home and come see you. Right. And you have to you have to give them something more than just slapstick because they are they are very smart. And at the Parliament House, they can go into four or five different spaces. They don't have to pack your showroom. So that still holds 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 firm to me whether I choose a number. Uh, it doesn't have to be something, oh, well, this is what the fat black girl always does. It could be something from Broadway. It could be something that has a message. It could be something of a different language. It could be opera because I never I never underestimate the intelligence of my audience. And uh, and uh, of Advice has been the cornerstone of my career. It really has. I love that. Never underestimate the intelligence of your audience. I think that's something that every mm-hmm. uh, MC or inspiring MC or host needs to know. And 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 I think honestly, because that was a, a thing that I I know that I wanted to to delve into, and maybe one day, you know, later on in life, maybe. But um, I think that there is a science. There's a method to the madness when it comes to an MC, because an MC to me carries it. You know, and keeps the you know keeps the people alive, keeps the people going because there are some people who are not necessarily show. I'm not necessarily a show person, 
Um, I love pageantry mm. to death, but I'm not a person that likes to actually go to shows because I feel like when you go to a show for that moment, for that time, of course you want that 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 um that uh, cast to take you outside of whatever it is. You know, you want to you don't want to think about the outside of what's home and this and the other. You're going there. You're paying your money to see a show, and for them to really. My issues and the reason why I, I fell off from going to a lot of shows, I'm, one of the first shows I ever went to was the, the Stars of the Century with, you know, Naisha and Sasha and Raquel and all of them, you know, when they first started, like in 2000 or so. And so their numbers were electrifying. I mean, these girls coming in on motorcycles, coming from the ceiling. I mean, it, they, they had illusion shows and they had a, a regular show. And so those things captivated me. But then we start to see other shows come around um, that come after them all over the country that don't put the time, the energy, the effort um, to have a host that can really carry you through. Um, the costume, you know, not really care. So I think it's very important that not only are we making sure our girls and our guys are investing into their craft, because it's very important, um, that the MC and the host, who if, you, if that's something that you want to aspire to do or want to do, do it. But understand that there, there's a way in which you do things, and then you got to care. It's not just picking up a mic and saying, welcome to the stage, this person. Welcome to the stage, that person. Because there are those moments where you have to interact with the audience. Those are the people that will pay the bills. Those are the people that keep the doors open, you know. And so they may not come to the, to, to the show for, let's say, I mean, there were times when, like for Sophia McIntosh, even though people love Jasmine and Raquel and all of that, there were people just coming to the show just to see Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I love those. You know, so yeah, I mean, um, that's very interesting, and I, and I just stuck that just stuck out because I think it's very important that while we talk about pageantry and what we should do and how we do better in that, you know, I think when it comes down to the show aspect too, and I've heard you talk about it many a times on your live um, in the dressing room about it. So I think it's just very important that we yeah. um, that we really take and be serious about um, whatever crap that we're deciding to be a part of. Um, mm-hmm. so. How has working there enriched your life over the years? Well, it, it has taught me a lot. Um, I, what you see as Darcel Stevens was formulated at the Parliament House. It was uh, really refined, and uh, it gave me an opportunity because we have a, somewhat of a world audience to see a, different, a lot of different perspectives and to to take Darcel into areas which normally I, I would probably be afraid to. Mm-hmm. Um, working there uh, as an entertainment director, uh, following his P, uh, it, it, it's been challenging, but I think I've risen to the occasion. And my job for drag is I wanted to elevate drag more than just uh, lip syncing. Now, while that is primary focus, I wanted to bring in an element of showman into the uh, onto the stage, and we've I've been able to do that with some many cats and some wonderful people. Mm-hmm. We were able to do different Broadway uh, uh, salutes to different Broadway plays. Um, uh, we did get, uh, the Greatest Showman. We did Beetlejuice, Dreamgirl. All of these wonderful Broadway shows we were able to bring onto the stage. Uh, we did Little Shop of Horrors. All of those things to let people know that drag was more than just a, a lip that one person on the stage. We also did a live show where we had a piano come in and each girl sang a song live to show a different side of them. Um, we also did something where we had a monologue 
where we all had to do dialogue to lead into a song to tell a story. Okay. And one of the big things I impress upon my girls and my cats, you've got to leave and you've got to tell a story. You've got to take them on a journey. Oh, yeah. It just can't be this arbitrary, I'm going to get out and do this song. Whatever you portray on that stage, it represents you. You are telling what you are feeling at that particular moment to a packed house and how you're feeling. Everybody's not bubbly. And if you're going through something, your music should say that because yeah. somebody else is going to resonate with in that particular point. Yeah. And there are people out there who are celebrating. And if you want to get out and dance and do whatever, you, you touch those people. And so I, I really think drag is a, a, a wonderful medium in which it sometimes is underestimated. Fly-by-night hobby is when you take it as a professional female impersonator and you take drag as a career. It is a serious, well-honed profession. And um, a lot of folks say they're, they're doing it, but there are only a few who do it at that level. Right. And uh, I'm very happy to share the stage with I consider some very professional female impersonators and some wonderful male dancers who enhance what we do. And um, uh, I'm, 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 I'm just really happy that that evolution has come about as a part of the house. It really has. And I thank the owners for trusting me mm. uh, when I say, well, we're going to do this. We were getting ready to do uh, Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to go to New York and watch it because I was wanting to bring it back. Oh, and wow. talked to some designers. I wanted to bring that to the stage. It's just the, the music is so wonderful. Uh-huh. And uh, the owners believe in that. They, they, they're, they're from Las Vegas. They used to work at the Reynolds Theater. So they like things of that nature, taking that element and bringing it to the stage. And not just for plays, but for drag. Gotcha. And um, I was I was really really happy, um, and I'm very blessed to have and um, individuals who believe in me and allow me to spend their money to bring what I feel to, to fruition on that stage. So um, I'm I'm really I'm really excited and happy about that. And how many yeah. years have you been there? I don't know if any other place will let me do that. Huh? How many years have you been there? Um. Well. I've been there about 20, 24, 24, 25 years. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. of all the entertainers that have graced the stage as consistent performers or have worked um, at the Parliament uh-huh. House, who do you miss the most working with on that stage? Oh, I miss Miss T. I miss her. Okay. Um, not only was she a pregnancy, and she got me into theater because, you know, I really wasn't into theater. Um, you know, I was content with doing Patty and Aretha and, you know, the, the usual girls, the fat girls do. But she opened my eyes that drag was more than just drag. It's an art form, and we are artists. And mm-hmm. we, too, are part of the theater. And not only did she do that, she would, she would always invite me to whatever place she was at, Sometimes, you know, I was 9 out of 10, I'd fall asleep while watching it, but I would show up. <laughs> and when I went to Broadway for the first time, I was so excited. I flew to New York. And back in those days, you know, um, if you talk for 60 seconds, they would charge you. You would uh, evaporate your minutes. Okay. And yeah. I I went to see uh, Les Miserables. Okay. Uh, no, no, it wasn't Les Miserables. It was Rent. I went to see Rent on Broadway, and I called Miss P, and I was 
met, I was just giddy after watching it. And um, she was someone who really just bright and taught me uh, more about what the art forms is about and what art is about mm-hmm. and what theater is about and how you can encompass all of it into what you do. Uh, why pigeonhole your talent? There's a whole wide world of entertainment that that stage is beckoned for. It's up to you to bring it to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a lesson that I never thought I would, I would learn. I just thought drag was pigeonholed as into one show or gift thinking. But now I know drag is so much broader, and I try to bring that experience. So I miss her the most. And um, she's one person that I admire. And um, I really was, not in this lifetime, I, I won't work with her, but maybe in that great stage of, oh. I, I guess, it's work with her again. Great, great. Yeah, I, I wanted to make sure that I included that and, and get it out, you know, a. Um, Get some, you know, just more information and become well aware of how your your career started um, as far as the Parliament House is concerned because we know that you are a staple there now. And like you said, you've been there 24, 25 years. Um, people respect you, revere you, um, and hold you to, a, you know, a, a certain standard, which is, which is an amazing standard because you've set that for yourself. So I just want people to, um, you know, kind of know about your history at the Parliament House. Now, before I get into Constantine, which will be the last little piece of it, uh, of our conversation tonight, um, I've been watching for the longest your lives, even before you became, um, you know, Darcel Stevens with Continental Plus. Um, but you talked a lot about politics over the, the last few years, and you getting the people out there to vote and even register to vote. Um, that was something that you were doing. You were very vocal about prior to competing and winning. Um, what was your reasoning, and uh, what are your hopes for the upcoming elections as it pertains to, like, our LGBTQIA plus community, getting them out there, you know, rights and standing up for, you know, being counted. Mm-hmm. So whatever you want to say as far as that's concerned to our people, this is the time. So it's very interesting. Um, as far as rights are concerned, I was one of those people that on the a battlefield for rights. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was at a time when we took a lot of physical and mental and a, abusive language to stand out in front of City Hall to demand just a basic right. Mm. Um, so I I don't mind doing that because the fruits of the labors are the rights that we have now. Mm. But I, I'm very cognizant of the fact that if we don't vote and if we don't vote at every level, those rights will erode. Right. Um, voting has always been something very special to me. I come from a strong civil rights family. Um, I I often tell my audience that within my lifetime, I did not have the right to vote. Yes. And it has to sink into people. We only had that, that right was uh, given to us in 1968. Mm-hmm. However, I was only eight years old at that time, but my mother, my mother, who had mother six kids, that was her first time voting, and I was the one she tagged along to go vote. Mm-hmm. And in a rural city in Florida, I remember the, the slurs and the abusive language that was hurled at my mother mm-hmm. as she squeezed my hand walking into that precinct. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you never forget. Right. And voting has always been something quite special to me. And I know the power that voting can do. I've seen the change in the South yeah. um, from both. I, I, I understand 
how important it is trying to get other people to understand that is a problem when the rights that you we all fought so hard for just mm-hmm. which they should be. So I know a lot of the young kids, well, why should I vote? I already got all these things, and that was then, this is now. So my passion is to let folks know, and I think it's a little easier in this planet because they can see oh, yeah. what this administration has done, mm-hmm. um, to get them fired up to let them know that it's time for them to step up to the plate and to make changes. Yeah. Um, and I often tell them, um, this, is their, this is your world. I'm just living in it. Okay. I'll show you how to get there. And this is your time to march forward. And so I, I, I take it very personal. And I, I tell people all the time, politics is very personal for me. Yeah. And uh, I understand if you don't do nothing, it will disappear. And as a black man, I know that those things will disappear very easily, even if they come about. You know, we, Michael, you, you, one of the things I, I was just talking to a friend today, Things are like racism and all those kind of things. Even though you think it may have gone away, there's still systemic racism. And you you encounter it, you know it, you see it, you yeah, tell it, yeah, you yeah. know it when it's yeah. And as gay folks and as people of world people, worldly people, we know that we have the right to love who we want to. We have the right to do this. We have the right to marry. But if we sit back and just rest on those laws, they would start eroding from the local level then to the county level, to the mm-hmm. state level. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, those match, those rights will be challenged in the Supreme Court, and they have to mm-hmm. run the risk of disappearing. Yeah. So I try to encourage people to get out and get involved. And one way to do that is to let them know what power they have and the power of voting. So I oftentimes tell them the story of voting with my mom and, and what we went through so that they can know that while this billionaire might want to spend millions of dollars to deter you from the polls, there's only one person and there's only one vote. You have the great equalizer, which is the vote. So no matter if you have a dime in your pocket or a billion dollars in your account, when you get in the booth, your vote is equal. It's one vote. Right. And I think many of them get it. They sense they, they what I'm talking about, that they have power. And uh, there's something excited when you is standing in front of an audience and you talk. If, if you know my show, you know Sunday's third show is always a civic lesson for me, mm-hmm. Couch with Comedy. It's right. always a civic lesson. And to see those kids' eyes and see how empowered they become, and they, they, you can tell that you connected with them, that they're going to make a difference. Yeah. And that's what I try to do to my audience is to let those young kids know and let people know when you power. And when you have power, you can make changes. And uh, that's something that I'm very passionate about, and that's something that uh, I will continue to vote. And I, I continue to be an outspoken advocate for it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to challenge me, challenge me on the policy. Yeah. Don't challenge me on what a person looks like or what they may speak like. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they stutter, you, you're going to hit a real big roadblock with me because I was a stutterer in my early years. Mm-hmm. So don't talk about that. Talk about the issue. Yeah. And then you might win me over. You, I might, I might, I go, you're right. Yeah. But I really believe that we got, we've got an opportunity. We've got, we've got, um, we don't have a lot of time. We're in uncharted waters. 
but I firmly believe that we can make a difference, and I believe this whole COVID-19 experience is going to do two things. It's either going to make you stick your head in the sand, or it's going to let you know that it's time for change. That's right. So um, That's right. I, I'm looking for that, that opportunity, whether it comes by a paper ballot or with me a mask on my face going to the precinct. Because I, I, I ain't never going to stop me from that. None of this stop you. Yeah. And, and, and I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate that. I appreciate you for being very vocal and very honest and sincere as well in, in your approach and make and you just have one of those voices that people are going to listen, you know. And then for you, you know, it's one thing to open your mouth and say things, but it's, it's, it's another thing to open your mouth, say things, and have things, factual things to back up, examples, you know, because I think that's a lot of times what, you know, the younger generation, they, they need examples. You know, they're, they're more visual learners than anything. You can tell them as much as you want to, but if you can show them or you can give them some type of big example, they're more enough to listen and more enough, you know, to, to do what's right. So I appreciate you. And, and Marcia, you know, Marcia, you know, it's also, I think, for us in, or my generation, we can speak into it blue in the face, but we have to get out and yes. get part of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. when I say we go vote, I I go, I'm going to vote at this time, and I'm going in drag. Who's going to go with me? Right. And you don't have a camera crew with me. And the right. kids will come wrong. And they will see this. I'll sell it, sequence, and then I'll always go on an evening out or something, flash. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, you know, let's get on the bus. We're going on the bus, and I'll be in drag, and we'll go. You have to empower those people, yeah. and you have to be an example. Yeah. And you have to faith without works is You're dead. dead. You've got right. to do the work. Yeah, you got to do the work. Yeah, and I, and I love it. Make it, a, you know, uh, I, I mean, I'm up here. It's only one other person that um, lives in Jersey that I'm very, very close to. But, you know, I, I, you know, challenge people to make, you know, when it's time to go out and vote, no matter when it's, you know, for, for your primaries or for the actual election, that you go and you get a, you know, bring somebody along, have a date, you know, or, or a group yeah. date or whatever. You all yeah. go together and, and then have drinks or something yeah. afterwards, you know. I think that's empowering. Oh, of course. You know, and, and then also not just remember about the national election, but remember about your, your, your city and your county councilmen and your, your senators, your congressmen, all of that, and know that there are things that, you know, me and my, you know, um, one of my friends I was telling um, uh, Aja just yesterday about, you know, um, uh, Ebony Sherry, you know, uh, from Miss Black Universe. We were just having a conversation for like two hours about a lot of different things, and just you have to know that there's many bills and there's things being passed, you know, every day that we don't know about. So it's important for you to in this time get in there and figure out who's your councilwoman, who's your, your, you know, who's your senator, congressman, whatever, what their beliefs are, values, how they align with you, and then making sure that you also, when it's time to vote them in or out, that you do that, you know. Yeah. Um, all of that's important. Yeah. All politics, all politics, all politics, all politics is local. It's very true. It is very, very true. Yeah. And I'm very happy to say that my um, city commissioners, I, I, a lot of them know me, and, and I actually I just text one of them today. But um, it, it's important to make yourself seen, and it's important not only to vote. Just reiterate what you're saying. The local level, all of those initiatives and those bills and stuff, you've got to vote the right people in, and you've got to know what you're voting for. Because I can tell you this, when you, sometimes when I go to, when I used to go to uh, vote and I look at some of the amendments on there that we're voting for, I didn't understand a word that they were saying. Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't understand. So you don't understand on social media, somebody's going to come with the clip note version and you will be informed. Yeah. And that's, that's all about 
You speak truth to power. You know what you're voting for when you ask for information. And I, I'm very, very happy. And I'm excited about what's going to be happening in November. I really am. Mm-hmm. So the, the last, what, the 20 minutes that we have um, here on air, um, let's talk about Continental because this is, you know, we, we got to learn a lot about you on, on tonight, and I'm so appreciative of it. And that's how I love my interviews. I like to know more about you, and then we let the what you're representing be like the the, the end all. But Continental, I remember you being on one of your lives because um, I used to be on your lives at like two o'clock in the morning whenever you guys were in, and you're taking your makeup yeah. off, and you'll be like Pond Cold Cream, Pond Cold Cream, and I actually got Pond yeah. Cold Cream based from from you because you know when I go out if I'm going to a ball if I'm going to a pageant I may put a little dust on just. Uh-huh. Like, a touch up, but I'm like, you know, I never knew about Ponce thinking about. So you were one of those people, but um, I was on one of your lives, and I believe it was after I want to say after Giselle had won this continent. I don't think it was Chantel. I think it was Giselle, uh, and you were very. You said, you know what? I think I want to go. I want to go to Continental Plus. I want to go and compete. And um, I so, so I'm asking. I know that you have been. You know, you tried years before um, and didn't go because of the promoter. But what was that driving force behind finally showing up, like letting your actions meet the words? So what was that? What was that driving force behind finally showing up to Miss Continental Club? Well, uh, probably at that time I was a wee bit intoxicated, and I thought, oh, I'm going to come. And you know, just like a lot of people, oh yes, I'm going to do Continental. Oh, I'm going to do Continental Elite. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And you know, it's just like rhetoric. It's taking up air space. Your words taking up space in the air. Uh, but what really got me off the mic, and I never forget, I was sitting here uh, um, yelling at the television because Trump was doing something, and I got the phone call, and Giselle said, oh, well, the, the premium at the Parliament House, uh, they don't have any contestants. Uh-huh. And I said, what do you mean they don't have any contestants? I said, well, let me get on the phone and call some of the girls. And I called some of the girls, and um, one of the girls said, well, I don't think I weigh enough. I'll do the uh, uh, the regular uh-huh. and no one and people in this community kind of know when they get it's pageant time and they hear that phone ring and she's calling for something right. and they I couldn't get no one to enter and so uh, Giselle said well just why don't you enter I go Giselle please <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I said he called back Chantel Chantel me and Chantel right here. We want you to enter, girl. You can enter this country. You you know you can win. I go, Chazelle, I have, you know, I have too much on my plate. And she called. I kind of shunned her off. And she called back again. She said, everybody's talking. They would love for you to be in this pageant. La, 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 la. Giselle, the only way I'll get into this pageant if Don, the owner of the Parliament House, says, yes, I can do it. Uh-huh. And I was 100% sure he would go, well, Jocelyn's got a lot on her plate and blah, blah, blah. Right. So I was backward off to him. She called back. Don said yes. I went, damn. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'm, you know, I'm a person of my word. Yeah. I said, okay, I'm going. I said, well, I'll get first one up and I can back out of there. Well, when I got there, I was the only one. Uh-huh. I said, and then Calvin called me. I don't, you, you may not Calvin. Calvin's uh, hairstylist and makeup artist here. He was to work for Matt. Okay. He goes, you need some help? I heard you doing the pageant. I said, well, yeah, come on. He goes, I said, well, I'm just going to just walk through this because I ain't got nothing. He goes, Mr. Darcel, you Mr. Darcel C. You better get your shit together with that little pet shop. And uh-huh. I said, okay, well, let me, let me go for this. You're pulling this national, blah, 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 you know, and I, I said, let me represent 
Yeah. And so I put my stuff together, and we 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 did a, a wonderful job, and I, I you know I got my ticket. And then it dawned on me, I said, okay, this is what I can do. I could give in to the rumors of Continental that you can't win on your first time, or I could give it my all, and I know when I give it my all, we're going full force. Yeah. And T, uh, which was Reggie and Giselle Chantel, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Chantel Roche, and a couple of others. And we sat down, and uh, like I do with all of them when they were competing, we started strategizing. I know all of their strengths. I know when, I, when it comes to gown, I know who to call. And when it comes to swimsuit, I know to call rocks. And, you know, I knew yeah. who to call for the category. And um, I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Now how are we going to pay for it? And I got on social media and just told my truth. This is a pageant I want to go to, and I need your help. Mm-hmm. And I don't expect anyone to donate their rent money. But if you could give $3, yeah. I got 5,000 people on here, can I get $3 from each of you? Or uh, if you're listening to me, there's 200 people, you can get $2. And people started donating. Many have donated, you know, $20, some donated $2. But it all came up. And I was very happy to say that 95% of my package was paid for by Tales from the dressing room. Yeah. And so when I, said, when I said we were going, I said, well, I'm going to do this with me. And just so happened, I think Continental or something happened, and Chantel comes back and goes, well, every other person was doing this is me yeah. for the uh, greatest show. And I said, oh, well, that's out the window. And I said, well, what am I going to do for talent? And Giselle goes, you need to do your line thing. I go, oh, no, I don't want to do that again. That was done before. And um, some other people concurred, and I said, well, if I do it, I'm going to elevate it. And things rolled in position, and um, I started getting things together, and there wasn't too many hiccups. Um, I was very fortunate to have one of my drag sons, who was a wonderful artist, Jeffrey, mm-hmm. uh, to, to sculpt most of those headpieces, pretty much all of those headpieces that mm-hmm. you saw, and different people do costuming. And um, then it came down to prelim night. I go, what am I going to do for prelim night? And I think I was getting ready to do uh, beauty school dropout uh, with Billy Porter uh-huh. and Reggie and Giselle came to me and said, Cartel, you need to do this number by yourself. I go, I don't want to do anything by myself. I'm going to take people and just show them this and show them that. She goes, well, I go, what is it? Ground. I go, what is the underground? It's a show about Harriet Tubman. Uh-huh. And I go, oh, Harriet Tubman. I go, this is a monologue from her. Uh-huh. And the whole episode was her talking to the abolitionist. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'll look it up and listen to it. And when I heard it, I was spellbound. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Nobody would do this. And being an older queen, it would, not, it would not be convincing on a younger queen. It needed to be from a seasoned queen with some experience totally that talked about it. And, um, and when I heard it, um, it just made my body shiver. And so the problem was taking 58 minutes and narrowing it down. So I listened to it over and over and over, and I edited it myself and got it down to eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, some good friends of mine were able to help me with the editing process, uh, a studio, and then I found out it was only supposed to be five minutes. Mm-hmm. So I took like maybe six minutes. And I said, I'm doing it. And my friends at Costume Couture said, if you're going to do it, we need to do it in a period costume. Oh, yeah. And they 
that favorite costume for me, and I felt good. I I was excited to do that uh, because I knew it would either be uh, something uniquely different and captivate the audience, or it would t- you would turn your back on it and walk away. And I was very happy that when I started that at Continental, it was something different. It was something fresh, especially from the people who knew me who have seen my career that they had never seen before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that, I think I enjoyed that rather than, uh, more so than the Lion King. It was on a totally different level for me. I, and uh, one of the biggest compliments I had that night was when Nikki Adams looked at me, so I told me later, she said, that was wonderful. And uh, that, that really really impressed me a lot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, me sitting there, dead center, judging, looking up, so I'm like the one looking up at the bottom of the table of the judges, and I'm looking up, and you're doing this talent, and mind you, I had all this stuff written down, so I'm glad you had already said everything that I want to talk about. Um, but when you said that period piece, I'm very I'm very keen on, like, costume and, and, and making sure that you're in that era or whatever, you know, whatever you're conveying on stage or whatever. I'm very into all of those stuff. I'm very meticulous when it comes to stuff like that. And so all I, I remember going back, I had a conversation with, I think, one of the co-promoters or something like that. And I was like, did you get into Darth? I said, I love the, you know, I'm, I'm from that, that theater background. So I love, you know, the monologue. I love the period that, that Harry told me. I said, but she, did anybody get into the garment? Did you get all the way down to the shoes? I mean, I'm like, I, I never with your shoes, right? I'm like, did, I mean, she yeah. had it. She had the entire look. Yeah. And that is what, I mean, even with the Lion King, too, I mean, you know, it, that was so electrifying. And, you know, while we all know it was over the limit, we did not know at that, in that moment. We didn't know. Like, you couldn't tell because everybody was so focused and, like, oh, my God, like, she just, continues to elevate this, and then when the animals started coming from every which way, it took you out of where you were. You didn't feel like you were watching the pageant, you know, or just some regular, because that was my favorite category. Uh, and so those are the things that I just felt like when you start doing your research into pageantry, I'm not saying you got to be like this person or that person or somebody has to come like Darcel, but you got to be very particular and meticulous and really focus on what you present on that stage because those little things, the things that you think don't matter, they matter. You know, one of the, one of the biggest challenges for me for the Lion King was not to overshadow me in that mm-hmm. process, and it was very well. I had a, a theater coach that was with me, not only for the Harry Chapman but for the Lion King as well. So while the audience didn't realize my positioning and all of that number was very meticulously planned because it was very, it would be very easy for me to get lost in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the number, even from the, the entrance and where the, the, each of the groups of animals were uh, standing was all to, uh, to, uh, to lift my presence up. And the words to the song made you focus in on that. So it, it was it, it was not just me doing a number. There was a lot of idiosyncrasies that went into that, yeah. making that what it, what it was. Yeah. And um, I was really pleased at that, um, that number because um, when I said I'm coming to Continental and I said there was a stage, I said we're going to go big and we're going to go home. And next year we're going to 
to do this. I had no idea that I was going to win, you know. Right. And I wasn't planning on that. I just knew I wanted to go big and I wanted to make a firm impact. Yeah. And um, it the, the, the problems, Michael, that we had uh, with entrances and things of that nature, while one of my traits I have is being a problem solver. Mm-hmm. And while it was difficult for those giraffes to get up the back of that and um the the steps to the stage and while we didn't have two entrances coming from left and right, it still worked out to uh my advantage with those gazelles and those zebras coming from the front and the birds and it worked out really well. Yeah. And um I was real pleased with that when I saw the video. Um but that was something very special to me because I go back to Miss P. Uh, when I was entering Miss National at large, I needed a talent. And I said, P, I want to do something for Broadway. And Miss P was very cantankerous. And she, people would always think she had an attitude, but she really loved fear. And so she came into the dressing room and she threw a cassette on my face. Here, listen to these two. In a very certain kind of way. And I went, what the hell is she talking about? Mm-hmm. And I went home and I listened to it. I let me listen to this tape. And I heard two songs. The first one was Beauty School Dropout with Billy Porter. And then I heard The Lion King before it even hit Broadway. And her theater friends had given her uh, original Broadway recording of it. Mm-hmm. And I was spellbound. I was, I was just living. And so when I presented that at Continental, it was, not only me presenting that, but it was an homage to Miss P, a way of saying, if I'm going to be at Continental, you're going to be there as well. Yeah. And so um, that was very special to me on many, many different levels. Um, I'm a big believer in of recognizing those that have come before you. Yeah. And I realize the fact that I only, I'm only as good as the shoulders I stand on. Yeah. And um, that night I stood on Miss P's shoulder. I really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up, I'll, I'll tell you something that came to mind, and I'll ask you this question, and we'll wrap up. Um, I think number one of this interview has been um, one of one of my best because um, I've enjoyed, you know, I, I enjoy getting the, the history lessons and learning about people and the way that they move in the shake and understanding why they why they do what they do and how they do it. Um, I first want to say when you were talking about getting prepared and and, and not even getting prepared for the national, but just by happenstance, you know, them trying to get you to do the do the uh do the prelim and then you're hearing the two names, Giselle and Chantel. And you if you also if you don't have the, the D V D, go just go online and see the crowning. See, and I was on stage. And when you see those two, yeah. the joy and the happiness and the excitement and it was like they won all over again. It makes you want to tear up, and then now knowing the history and how it start, how that whole thing just started, how it just so mm-hmm. happened, girl, go do this pageant. Come on, girl, you can do it. Blah, blah, blah. Like now, I really get it. Like it's not just oh, she was, you know, she's, you know, our manager or she's, you know, our friend or whatever. Like no, like we started on this journey, and look at look at just we just said, girl, come do this pageant, and then girl, you just end up mm-hmm. doing this pageant. So I just want I wanted I just want to throw that out there, and then um impact. You know, my one of my, my last one of my last questions would be the impact. Like, what um, 
what do you feel like your impact has been as Miss? Uh, as we have, I think we have like eight minutes left. So, what um, do you think your impact has been as Miss Continental Plus so far? Well, um, I think I've brought a, a level of a, a, an administrative level to Continental mm-hmm. uh, for one. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to. I wanted to make Continental to, to cross all of the T's and the dot the I's for Continental. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been some things that needed to evolve, mm-hmm. um, and we we have some systems in place right now so that when a girl enters this pageant, there is uh, there is no searching for clarity. Oh, um, that's, that's right. You'll get a handbook. Yeah. It'll be very descriptive for you. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think Continental needed that, and I was very honored to be part of that process. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also think that I brought a level of um, um, I think I brought a level of trust because pageantry at this particular time is in direct competition um, with uh, with drag race uh-huh. with other media, mm-hmm. and at one particular point people thought that pageantry was going to die out. Right. But I'm very happy to say that I, I from one of those positions of being a, an older girl, you're able to hover and look and see the landscape. Yeah. Pageantry isn't there. It has a resurgence now. Yeah. There are certain things that pageantry can teach you. You can't learn on RuPaul Drag Race. You can't learn just by being a face on social media. Mm-hmm. You have to get into that arena. And it will perfect you, it will mold you, it will humble you, it will give you, encourage you, uh, it, it excites you. And it, it's good for queens to be nervous. It's good for queens to be put on the spot. Because all the situations that we're, it only trains us for whatever venue and whatever stage we're going to be on. Mm-hmm. It could be a stage at Carnegie Hall or it could be a stage uh it could be a disco stage or it could be you in your living room. Mm-hmm. But pageantry has that ability to teach you a lot. And I'm really happy that within my rank, I was able to go out, not only for my uh, administrative expertise, but to go out and just be a vocal voice for drag, yeah. uh, to encourage girls of every level and for every age that it's time to get into their arena. Yeah. And I, I'm very happy to say that so many girls who, who counted out their years and, oh, I don't want to do it. Look, are you a plus size girl? I know you might be over 40. Alita still be there. Get in with the young girls. You got something to offer. Yeah. Get in there. And um, they are. They are. And uh, it, it, it's something quite remarkable to see the evolution of drag. I, like I said on my post today, um, things I know to be true. Love will always win. Yeah. That's the first thing. And um, the second thing, I, I I really feel like that as long as long as we love the art form of drag, it will always be there. Oh, yeah. And pageantry, pageantry is not only an entertainment for us; it is a part of our history. It's a catalyst for who we are. Yeah. From the ballroom scene to the, the drag right. stage to the runway, yeah. that element of being judged for who you are at that moment has always sustained us, and it won't it won't go away. That's right. Yeah. 
Great. I mean, um, I I love you as the the entertainer that you are. Love meeting with meeting you, judging you, working with you. Um, thank you for your tenacity, your 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 push. Um, for a lot of the promoters to to, to bring a um a plus for Mary on, and I hope that it does definitely continue. So I only have a, a couple of minutes, so I just want to throw out. Let me see what I have. One, two, three, four. I have five names. All I need you to tell me is what's the first thing that comes to mind, one word that comes to mind, and then we'll close the show, okay? Okay. Okay. First name, Dee Dee Williams. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Um, oh, my God. It's so much of my mind. Uh, innovator. Okay. Sierra Fox. Oh, smile. Huh? A smile. Okay. Giselle Barbie Royale. And the last name is Miss P. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh. Uh, professor. Yeah. Okay. okay. Professor. All right. Well, thank you for that, Darcel. Thank you for the interview. I want you to just hold the line for me. Um, again, everyone uh, that's listening, you can share the you can share the podcast, or you can actually you know share it whenever it's posted. We'll be posting it shortly here. Um, but again, thank you so much, Darcel, for joining us on tonight. Um, cannot wait to see you and hug you again and celebrate you once more. So again, hold the line for me, Darcel, while we play the closing of the show. Okay, hold for me. Thank you. Hey, guys, thank you once again to the legendary, most humble, and powerful Darcel Stevens, Miss Continental Plus. Thank you for joining us on tonight. Um, this actually would have been the same night that you'd have been relinquishing your title, Miss Continental Plus. So thank you once again. Thank you again for your tenacity, your dedication, and the ability to not only be a title holder and an ambassador for Continental, but also a queen that administratively limits her talents. We thank you so much. We wish you the very best in your life and any future endeavors, whatever they may be. Uh, thank you to everyone who has supported this platform with your listening ear. Um, please be sure to share this podcast with anyone who would love to take a listen. There's no harm in sharing. Uh, keep your eyes and your ears peeled as I will be bringing you an interview with our Mr. and Miss Continental, Daisy M. Andrews and Vanessa Van Cartier later on this year. Now, as always, I must end with a quote of the week or a quote of the day. Um, So here is today's quote. Be easy on yourself as you try to manage these these times. In a way, we are all coping the best way we know how. And sometimes the fear puts us in survival mode, which encourages us to try and make others suffer with us. But please keep acting out of faith, not fear, and with love, always. Again, Please be easy on yourself as you try to manage these times. In a way, we are all coping the best way we know how. And sometimes the fear puts us in survival mode, which encourages us to try and make others suffer with us. So please keep acting out of faith, not fear. Okay? Please keep acting out of faith and with love always. Until next time, every one of you guys, be blessed and most definitely be safe.